Good morning, beloved. Praise the Lord for an opportunity to look into his word and to experience just his love and his communication of his love through his love letter to us in scripture. We continue our series on one another, one another. If you're tracking with us, whether here or online, you remember that we spoke about already two subjects on one another. First was loving one another, which was pretty hard to listen and to apply it. And then to pray one another. Tim was preaching last time about praying, lifting each other in prayer. Today we'll continue the third sermon on the topic, which is forgive one another. This is probably the most painful activity in Christian realm uh, because it costs you something. Uh, We could pray for one another, but it costs us a little bit of time. But when you have to forgive, you actually sacrifice something. Forgiveness is based on the belief that God forgave us all of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us. And therefore, it bids us to forgive others. If we call ourselves Christians, we better find strength through the Spirit to forgive others. In fact, I would say that forgiveness is the most sure way to show Christ. There is no other way you could show Christ better than to forgive. And yet we need to admit that it is a very difficult task. I already said it's kind of painful. It is difficult, and in fact, it's impossible unless you and I ourselves being forgiven. I call this sermon, Forgive One Another, with the subtitle, Payback with, uh, with Kindness. Payback with Kindness. When we are living in the world, we get hurt and people offend us and sin against us. When we are living in the church, same thing happens. When we're living with our spouses and our kids, it happens that we hurt one another. And therefore, we need to forgive. And I would say that we need to pay back with a different type of currency than we were paying back before. In a world, an unchristian situation, in a Christian society, the payback is always what you deserve. That's what you get. If you slap me in the face, you have to expect that I slap you back. That's the currency. That's how we operate. It's interesting, in in, the 1990s, when the Soviet Union fell apart and collapsed, all of a sudden, there are like 15 different countries appeared on the map. And every country has to deal with one issue, currency. Now, all of a sudden, people need to come up with a centralized currency that will deal in differently. And now we, they don't pay with the rubles anymore. Now they pay with the lorries and the rest of the, you know, their own currencies. It's a change of currencies. Same thing when we come in the Christian community. When God saves us and redeems us, when he forgave us, he changed our inner nature. And he gave us a different type of payment, how to pay to one another. 
and he gave us love. On your account that owe to God, you owe to God so many things, you sin against him, and then he paid it with the love of Jesus and put on your bank account, spiritual bank account, this currency, unending love. That when you get sin against, you go back to that bank and you pay to people this, love. So let's read together in Ephesians chapter four, verses 25 to 32, and we'll look at the community of, of Christian community believers who've been forgiven, who experience this forgiveness for real, who have this bank account of love in their spiritual banking who have no shortage of love and forgiveness. And we could encourage one another to do the same and live as a Christian community being marked by forgiveness. Ephesians chapter four, verses 25, we read this, therefore, since that is true, since you've been forgiven, since you've been elected, since you've been placed in the new family of God, therefore, Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiven each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, Paul, in the context, explained this change and the contrast, that this is who you were before, and you were acting like the world acts, and now you're acting differently. And he says, look, you have change of clothes because you have change of nature. You have change of clothes of your behavior because you have change of nature There's a difference in your heart. I want to ask you a question. How do you recognize a prisoner? You can recognize a prisoner really quickly by his orange rope. Now, before a person got convicted, before he he could be a doctor, he could be a pastor, all we care. He could wear a suit and tie. He could wear, you know, some kind of robe. But as soon as he convicted, the first thing that people, you know, in jail do to that person is to change his clothes. And all of a sudden, his favorite color is orange. Because now he's recognized by one thing. He's like everybody else convicted. Now, this clothes doesn't make him murderer. doesn't make him criminal, but the clothes testify that has, something has happened. The clothes doesn't change his nature, criminal's nature. The, 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 the clothes doesn't, you know, shows, uh, only shows that what already happened. Same thing when a prisoner gets released, 
and he gets his own clothes back, he testifies that he's already paid his dues and no longer criminal. He is free. His debt been paid. With us, it's the same thing. There's a contrast. Your nature has been changed, and therefore now you are changing your behaviors. Now with Paul, I want to make a few observations before we go to the text. Paul doesn't say to us, doesn't bid us, he doesn't try to change our nature by changing our behaviors. That is just futile approach. You cannot do that. When he says put off and put on, it's based on what you have been experienced already. You have a new heart that is able to put new behaviors. To command us to change it into a new man, it's impossible. Here's an attack. Paul is saying that because there's a change, because of the forgiveness, because of change of nature, now whatever you are acting upon and acting towards people, it's different. Believers are to follow uh, certain Christian standards precisely because God has already changed you in your heart. Therefore, we're putting away these things, what he's mentioning later on. He's not just trying to create a better moral standard in the church. He's just saying, look, since you've been changed and forgiven, now please act accordingly. He's not guilt tripping us here. He's just telling us, go look into your nature what has God has done. Look into your account of how much you've been forgiven and draw from there power to change. Paul is not demanding a high form of behavior, behaviorism because it would be no difference than Phariseeism. But he said, since you have change of, clo- change of nature, now change your clothes. So he's making a great contrast. And plus to that, in the context, there's a five things that he's mentioning how we operate in the church with one another, how we relate with one another. And he gives us the base and he gives us the reason. For instance, verse 25, he says, you should not lie anymore. You should speak truth. Because why? Because there's a reason for it. Because your members are one another. When he says, do not get angry with one another, because if you do, you'll give devil an opportunity. There is a reason behind this basic, basic command. If you are stealing, you don't steal no longer because you have to work and be generous and because there's a need around you. You should not speak unwholesome words anymore because that grieves the Holy Spirit. And you should be kind and not be bitter against people because God is kind to us. So with this, we're going to go to these five things. And a basic point I want to communicate to you that as you read this and you'll be motivated to act upon these words, remember this, that forgiveness is your new currency that we operate in the church. Another observation is also that, that it's not talking how you should treat people on the street necessarily, which is true. This is how we should treat people on the street, should be honest and kind to them. But he's talking about to the church. And that was the most remarkable for me to look that he's talking to us how we must operate with one another in the church. He gives an example of 45 examples of this forgiven community. How forgiven community forgives. How we excel in that. And there's five things in your bulletins that we're going to go track here. Number one, the forgiven community is honest with one another. 
The forgiven community, number two, is patient with one another. The forgiven community is generous with one another. The forgiven community is, is uplifting one another, and forgiven community is kind with one another. So be honest. Paul says in verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood. Laying aside falsehood. Now again, he's talking to how we talk to one another in the church, in the family, with our wives, with our, with our husbands, with our children, with members of the body. And he starts there because the truth is the foundation of everything. The truth is found in Jesus Christ. If you look verse 20, 21 in the context, he says this, but if you did not, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. We stand on the, on the foundation of one thing, of revelation of God, the truth about us. God is telling us the truth about us and about himself. And he tells people in Ephesus, Paul tells people in Ephesus that, hey, you have turned away from, from false God to the real God, from the false deceiving things to the true and living God. And therefore, as a foundation, as a pillar, we as a community, we known by telling the truth. That's why Paul says, well, before you, lay, you, you, you were lying and, and, and stealing and deceiving one another, but right now, you don't operate this way. In the world, this is how you get ahead, by manipulation, by lying, by telling half-truth. But in the community of, of Christ, there is no, uh, no need for these things. We operate in the truth. We don't lie to one another. And Paul says, basically, so you just take it off and replace it with speaking truth with each one of you with his neighbor. One person said that a half-truth is a whole lie. Sometimes we think like I didn't tell the whole truth and just try to get away, but, but the basic standard for the community, no, we tell the truth. Speak truth with one another, with his own neighbor. The person who sits next to you, you tell, tell him the truth. And in Paul quotes from Zechariah verse 8, 16, and he tells this, it reflects on the Zechariah, and it's interesting to, to read this passage. It says, there are things which you should do. Zechariah ta- talking to the remnant Israel. A bunch of people already left, and now there's people who stay, and he said, look, you have to tell the truth because you were lying to one another, and because you were lying to one another, now you're dispersed. Speak the truth to one another, judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. But he's saying that peace depends on what we say to one another. Paul is talking about that the truthfulness is a pillar for the church, but also that we need to treat one another with respect and honesty. Do what is right. Do not partial judge one another. Tell the truth. And it attaches not just to tell the truth, you know, just, uh, just the white lies and stuff. He's talking about how do we treat with one another. When we sell to one another, when we present something, when we present the information, we're talking about people, we tell the truth. We don't tell lies. We don't tell it for our advantage. We don't present ourselves better than we are. 
We're a truthful community. Remember, when you came to Christ, you were the most truthful person back then. Why? Because you told him about your sins. That's why James says, confess your sins. Be honest with one another. When we tell the truth to one another, it's about our failings against one another, and we exposing ourselves as a forgiven community, expecting that people will forgive. I tell you one reason, one reason why we don't tell the truth, because we're afraid that people will not act lovingly upon us, and so we withhold. Like that husband who watches pornography, he doesn't tell his wife because she will overreact, right? And therefore, he is just hiding. Isn't that in the church? You don't tell people about your shortcomings because they're going to laugh at you and just scorn you. And the worst thing, they're going to isolate you. Tell the truth. Meaning that you're exposing yourself. And in fact, if you say the lie, you're actually hurting self and the community. I like how Chrysostom, one of the early father's greatest preachers, he said, if the eye sees a snake, does it lie to the foot? The point is that we are in the body. It says, do not lie to one another because there's a reason. We're members to one another. We're members. We're dependent. Our peace, our well-being as a church depends on how we operate, how we communicate with one another. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm in this used car, you know, industry and people sometimes ask me and say, well, sell me the car that you would sell it to your mom. So, so be truthful about what you're doing, right? That's, that's what we do the job as you would do it for your son. Treat it honestly. Tell me everything. But it also has a back, you know, when we expose ourselves, receive the truth like Christ received when he received the truth about you, you know what he did? He forgave you. He forgave you. He covered it up. He helped you. He built you up. He didn't scorn you. He didn't drove you away. Tell the truth. In the church. Somebody says, if you don't have matters at home, you don't have matters. If he can't be truthful here, uh, you, you're not going to be truthful anywhere else. This is where God is. The second thing that Paul is addressing in verses 26 and 27, he says, be patient. Be patient. Like a, a, a redeemed community, those who are hoping that we are, our sins are all wiped out, those who are looking at God's love, he said, look, you have a problem with an anger and therefore you should be patient. You should look at your father who is extremely patient with you and with the world where there's no reason to be patient. And he's withholding his anger and so you have to learn from him. Look at your forgiveness. Now I want to mention about anger a few things. Anger is a proper response against the injustice. You know, we can't just say, well, uh, and twist and manipulate the scripture. It says, be angry. It's a command. <laughs> it's not like, well, when you get angry, because, you know, well, sinners, you're going to get angry. Or if you get angry, in some cases, this is how you deal. No, so be angry. 
there, there are things that we need to be angry about. Now, we don't want to hear that, maybe, but it's, it's a biblical. We need to deal with anger, with anger biblically and promptly. That's what he's saying, biblically and promptly. Because he is giving us the, the situation that there's a proper anger. Now, there's a lot of more in the world improper anger or sinful anger, as I would say. I like how Steve, Stephen Cole given this illustration about 27 years old man who was standing at a bus station and, and he was yelling at the woman, 56 years old woman, that, hey, give me some respect. And then after she called the police, he slapped her in the face. When the, when the 65 years old man stepped in, he hit him also with the folder. And then he ran away, leaving the folder. So police tracked him because they saw his name in a folder. And there was a homework for the anger management problem. So I guess he was working on the issue. So we have a lot of that happen, a lot of abuse, a lot of misuse of anger. But because it's clear command, and Paul doesn't just like take it from the tin air. He takes it from Psalm 4.4. And Psalm 44 says that this quotation, tremble and do not sin. Tremble and do not sin. It meaning that you are angry to the point that it shakes you like an earthquake. Sometimes we are shaken from fear. Sometimes you're shaken from anger. But Paul says, uh, but, but Psalm, Psalmist says, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. This is the way how to deal with your anger. But is there a case of righteous anger? I used to think like, no, there's no. There's no. But God created us with emotions. God created you with sadness, right? Sometimes you are sad, sometimes you're joyful, and sometimes you're angry. And we just don't, we just don't accumulate this anger or just got our anger when we sin. We, we've been created with emotions because God has this emotion. 39 times in Old Testament, it says about anger, and most of them apply to God. Like in Zechariah 1, 2, it says, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. <laughs> you know, if you think about Jesus, the most kind person, it says in Mark 3, 5, he says, when he was healing and trying to heal the person with the dry hand, people were just like grumbling and just accusing him, and he says, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. There's a mixed feelings in Jesus. He's angry, and then he's grieved, for they have no compassion. And then he heals. It is hard to imagine Jesus is going to cleanse the temple with just like a poker face, you know, just like he is taking people out. He's cleansing his temple. It is hard to imagine when he's preaching, woe on your Pharisee that he's just doing with a just total impartiality, like just don't care. In fact, Bible tells us about Jesus' anger, the son who could get, get angry. In Psalm 2, 12, it says, do homage to the son that he may not become angry. <laughs> you say, well, that's Jesus and that's God, true. His anger always righteous. 
We have to be very, very careful with our anger, with our anger. But let me just tell you this before we're moving, how to deal with that. You have to think biblically whether your anger is true biblically or it is just expression of your sinfulness. Example of our lives. I was walking in 2008, we went to Israel and we, we were in Jerusalem and, and going through the Holocaust Museum. And I remember watching clips and videos of, of kids, like skinny, like skeletons, and moms, that they put them into the gas chamber, and you know that they're going to close and they're going to die. What do you feel then? Well, i tell you what I felt. I felt rage. How can this be? When you see people abused, elderly and children, you just don't walk by and say, well, I'm cool with that. You have this anger. It's God's given emotion. But notice in the context that how immediately Paul says, be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry and yet do not sin because you have to deal with your anger biblically you have to ask yourself, why are you angry? You know, God asked Cain, why are you angry? He asked Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? And Paul says, look, when you get angry, check what is biblical, and you, as a psalm says, go lay down and cool off. Go lay down and think, why are you angry? Is it even biblical that you're angry? Or are you angry because someone stepped on your, uh, uh, on your foot? And he said, this is how you deal with your anger. Be slow to anger. When you get angry, think if it's biblical, you go lay down on your bed to think, to cool off, and be slow to your anger because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You cannot act on your anger. You can be angry. You could think and you could pray, you could meditate, but you have to go and deal with your own heart first and foremost. Deal promptly. Do not delay. He said, do not sin. Go meditate. When you have been wronged, even by one of your family members, you should not dismiss it like nothing off, but you should go and think and pray and ask yourself, why am I angry? But what Paul does not tell us, that you have to act upon it, that you have to let it loose. In fact, we read in Romans 2, 9, it says, never take your own revenge. This is what we want to pay people for their evil. One thing is to feel, another thing is to give. And as we have a currency, a new currency for this misconduct, we should Deal with our heart to be able to give grace. It says, never take your revenge, Romans says, beloved, by, by leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And later on it says, this is what you do. If your enemy is hungry, you go and feed him. So after you being in rage and being just like, exposed to this gross 
sin, you go down and cool off and say, well, I delivered to the Lord. And then what can I do to that person? And instead of repaying with vengeance, you give them goodness. Now, one thing it also doesn't say here that you have to resolve your conflict before sun go down. This is a common interpretation. Like, make sure that you have to resolve your conflict with, but sometimes it's impossible to resolve. It doesn't mean that you have a knock at the door, so well, you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me because sun is coming down, so we have to deal promptly with No, you deal with your heart with anger, and you be ready to forgive. That's what it says, deal promptly. And the reason for it, because if you don't do that, if you let it harbor in your heart this anger, it will always come out wrong, and you will give an opportunity to the devil. Devil grabs a little, little foothold, whatever he has. And it says here that the anger is the, is the foot door into your heart. He would create a place and space and he create the argument and the case to do something bad to the person, to feel something, it never ends good. Have you seen mountain goats? The incredible guys, I mean, incredible animals. They could pick their way across near vertical cliffs. Just, you know, impossible routes. No other animal could, could climb. They just grab a little foot steps in, in the rocks. Well, devil is an opportunist. He sees that little anger, unresolved thing, unforgiven thing, and he climbs it. Don't give the opportunity to him. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven. If I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. He knows this is the way the doorway into your heart, so he could now just create the issue. Satan works through that heart which cherishes anger. It's part of his scheme. Beware. You know, this is what God warns us. When you get angry, deal with it. Warren Worsby, a pastor, he said this, anger is an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. In itself, anger is not a sin because even God can be angry. The Bible often speaks of anger being kindled as though anger can be compared to fire. It is difficult for us to practice a true holy anger of righteous indignation because our emotions are tainted by sin and we do not have the same knowledge that God has in all matters. God sees everything clearly and knows everything completely and we do not. The New Testament principle seems to be that the believer should be angry at sin, but loving towards people. The fire of anger, if not quenched by loving forgiveness, will spread and defile and destroy the work of God. According to Jesus, anger is the first step toward murder because anger gives the devil a footstool, foothold in our life. And Satan is a murderer. Satan hates God and God's people, and when he finds a believer with a spark of anger in his heart, he fends the sparks 
add fuel to the fire, and does a great deal of damage to God's people and God's church. Now, how much damage has been done because somebody was offended and harbored it and got angry and just frustrated, and it become just a wildfire. A forgiven community tell the truth, exposes ourselves to the loving community that able to forgive. A forgiven community is also patient with one another and delivers the wrath to God. He deals with that and yet pays back with kindness and love and forgiveness. The third thing that Paul is saying about this Christian community, about this forgiven community, is that this, this community, these people, we are forgiven in the church. We are generous. We're generous people. We are not thieves. We are workers and givers. He encourages us to work so we could give. He encourages us to rethink our careers here. Why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? Most of the people, if you ask them, why do you go to work? They would say, I go to work to provide for my family. And I think this is good. It's very, very good, but this is very basic. If you don't do that, you're worse than an unbeliever. Congratulations, you graduated to first level. But, but what was the design for work in the first place? The design for the first place was, was not to just provide for you but to provide for others. You remember Adam had no problem with food in the Garden of Eden. And that is not why he has to cultivate and to subdue the earth and rule over the earth. He would prepare the place for the future generation. That was the aim for God. So when you go to work, if you're working for yourself, Paul says you're no better than the thief. Because thief also worked. You think thieves do not work? They do. They plan, they scheme, and you just try to, to imagine how to rob a bank. How much work would you put in? I mean, it's, it's, it's unbiblical, it's, it's wicked, but it is work. It is work. And so if you think about this, like people are in the church, there are two types of people, those who are replenishers and those who are depleters. Those who are just give and give and give, and those who are just take and take and take. Those who are suck all the energy, and those who are give no matter how poor they are. You know, this word klepto, meaning thief. In, in English word, we have this word kleptomaniac. is the one, the person that habitually takes what is not his. He can't help it. He just takes it and takes it, whatever it is. He always sees the opportunity to grab for himself or for his family, for that matter. But there's two differences between a worker, a forgiven person, a new Christian behavior, and the old, and the, and the difference between thief and, and this Christian that Paul presents us. Number one, that he works in an honest way. He works with his own hands. He says, he must steal no longer, stop stealing, stop depriving people, stop depleting, stop sucking, but you have to work with your hands. But rather, he must labor, labor. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to labor only with your hands, you could labor with your brain, but you have to labor and produce something good, something good. 
So uh, an honest worker, he just doesn't take the shortcuts at work or just try to do the Ponzi schemes. He just works honestly. That's the one distinction. But the second distinction, that when he does work, he has an aim to give. To give. But rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Paul is urging Christian community to be useful, not useless. Not to be damaging to the community, but be replenisher. Not to be selfish, grabbing for self, but giving. But you say, well, look, I am poor. I am broke like a church mouse. You know, I, I have nothing. Well, Paul doesn't say that you should give money necessarily. He said, whatever good you could produce, even the poor people could give in the church. Even the young teenagers could give. It's your outlook on life. What do you do? What is your career? What is your perspective? What is God's idea for your work? If you think that you're working for yourself and not giving, and that's what the purpose, well, that you come in short. Paul says, well, give. A Christian community is a generous community. A generous heart will find someone to bless. Will find someone to bless. You know, a greedy heart would never look for anywhere else but just what I need, I need, I need. But the generous heart would say, brother, I see you need. Your fence is falling apart. Let me help you. Right? Anything. Anything. But this is the outlook. It's why. Because God has come and helped you when you were in greatest need. He sent Jesus to work for you to create this righteousness that you don't have so he could share it with you. Take all your sins, all your offenses, and he replenishes with good. And therefore, a Christian community is a generous community. Generous community. The fourth thing that Paul encourages us is to be uplifting and speak the way to build. Way to build. See, verse 29 and 30. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Paul expects change in believers' community, the way how we treat one another and how we speak to one another. How do we use our tongues? And he, and he warns us, he said, do not use unwholesome words. I like that West translation. It says, every word that is rotten and unfit for use out of your mouth, let it not be proceeding. <laughs> it is exactly the word here. Unwholesome word meaning that's rotten. Rotten. Imagine eating rotten apples. Would you enjoy that? It, it doesn't. The general meaning, general meaning of sapros is foul, rotten, useless and this is how we speak sometimes. This is how you receive the words. And it doesn't mean necessarily F words. It doesn't mean those. those. It means the, the polluted words, word that has no meaning or no purpose to build up. You just speak. You just like, you just like this factory of words just coming out of, of your mouth and just for no use. And often it hurts. You know, like one person said to Wycliffe, she said, well, I have the gift to speak my mind. And he said, well, you have to bury that gift. It doesn't help. 
you know, this verbal pollution that does not build but just clutter, it doesn't help. It destroys, actually. It destroys. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I mean, how many of you think back and you say, well, that was what I said was really bad. I didn't say the foul language in a foul language, but it was bad. I've rather regretted, but, the ma- but it spoke. You spoke, and it just like the, the bird came out of your mouth, and, and you can't catch it back. The power of the tongue. Paul is, war- Paul is warning us. He said, make sure you guard your heart, because whatever you filled your heart with, it will come out. It will come out. Have you ever experienced when you talk to someone, felt like you ate rotten egg? Like you just received this accusation in the garbage and, and you just like, you feel filthy. Like didn't help. It didn't build me up at all. Here's an example of corrupt communication with our kids. You can't do anything wrong. That's not good. Let me do it. Always a problem. You're always breaking something. You never listen what I say. You know, you're not, you may not scream, but you're not helping to build up. It is hard to read this verse and not to remember James, who was warning in James 3 about the power of the tongue. It makes the point that one small poor. Uh, part of the big ship changes the direction of the ship, right? One small fire could set on fire the whole uh, forest. If you can control this one little thing, you could control the outcome of your life. Proverbs says that it is in the, in the power of the tongue is, is your life and death. Sometimes we say something very stupid and it hurt us. But Paul says, look, instead of just hurting people and destroying, imagine how many relationships would be saved in family, how many, how many divorces could be spared, how many children would not be rebellion because we speak foul and bad, how many churches would not be split if we just don't argue about things that are not helping. But Paul says, look, speak with the purpose to build word that builds up there's testimony about Job from his friend in Job 4.4. It says, your words have helped the tottering to stand and you have straightened feeble knees. Your words helping. We need to give grace. We need to be salted with grace when we speak with one another. You know, it's easier to come and judge. I remember coming to a friend with a broken heart and tell him and say, look, this is what I'm dealing with. And instead of just receiving compassionate, you know, compassion and just encouragement, I receive, so well, this is your fault. Of course, that's what you, that you whatever you saw, you reap. And I said, well, that doesn't help. That's actually, that's not what I need to hear at this moment. I know the truth. I need compassion. I need grace. One ancient saint said this, and he's dying bad. Grace is the only thing that can make us like God. I might be dragged through heaven, earth, and hell, and I would still be 
the same sinful, polluted wretch unless God himself should cleanse me by his grace. And I would add, the only way we could speak gracious words is by continually basking in the glow and continual reliance upon God's transforming grace. But you say, this person does not deserve this grace right now. And you might be right. He or she doesn't. But the forgiven heart extends to other what he or she receives. We're different people now because of God's grace. This is how we deal with anger differently. This is how we deal, deal with our resources, with our words also. But the main reason why we should not speak unwholesome words, the main reason, it's not only because we're going to hurt people and destroy, but it says here in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a real person. is not just a power. And he's in the business of creating out of us a loving community, and he gets grieved. He gets sad, very sad distressed, pain. And you could kind of understand that when, when you speak your words of kindness about someone, and let's say somebody took those words, misused them, and brought it to your friend and says, this is what he said about you, that you're so and so and so and so. And then you heard about it, how would you feel? That hurts you. This is not what you said. When God tells us in his word, in his clear communication, the Holy Spirit wrote the scripture that we are forgiven. This this is how he treats us. And then we take it and misrepresent it and treat people differently. The Holy Spirit grieves. Why is it attached to the Holy Spirit of God? Because it is the spirit who gives the revelation, spirit who speaks and he takes offense and it hurts. He seals you. He promised you there's a security that you've been forgiven. The most hurtful thing for the Holy Spirit is, is when we tell people that you don't deserve God's grace. That's the most hurtful because he said, I sealed you. It's a guarantee thing. You don't deserve, but you've been pardoned. You belong to me now. Now, Ephesians, when they heard this, they understand the change of ownership because 60 60 millions of people in, in, in Roman Empire were slaves. Majority of slaves were Christians. This is the majority of the church. They were slaves. They were low class people. And when they hear that we were sealed and we were released and we belong now to the Holy Spirit rather than to the old master Satan, oh, It's a relief. We have to encourage one another to be kind with our words, to be building up and to tell about the grace of God toward us. And that's how he ends up in chapter uh, chapter 4, verses 30, 31, 32. And a forgiven community is kind community. It's kind. You know, you want that people notice about you is that you're kind. This is what your wife wants you to be, you're kind. This is what children wants you to be, kind. When you walk through this door, 
You wanted to see on your foreheads like Mr. Kindness appeared, right? Not the bitter, not the anger, not the claimer, not the slander, not the malicious person, but the kind person came. Now he's kind because he's been kind too. That's what Paul says, you tame your temper, you put away all the bitterness and anger and replace it with kindness and forgiveness just as Christ has forgiven you. There were old currencies before. You were bitter and you gave bitterness. You spread bitterness. You were anger and wrath come out out of your heart. You're slandering people, but now you don't do that. Just briefly, bitter is the quiet thought, unforgiven action. Like you, you, just, you just harbor it there and you put it some, in some place in your room, in your heart. You just don't deal with that and it will just spread like mold in your bathroom. He will. Somebody said bitterness is, is uh, compared to a poison, drinking poison, hoping that the other guy will die. That doesn't work, right? So it, you hurt yourself. But it, progression here, so you're bitter, you let it sit there, sip on the bitterness, and you just soak in your bitterness, and then you have this wrath coming out, this rage in your heart, and you start boiling Abrupt outburst. When you start screaming then, you get anger, you get temper. And then claimer, you start loudly screaming with angry words. Some people say, well, this is not, I'm not angry, I just speak loud. Well, we all know, right? We all know when you speak loud and when you're angry. And then you slander. When you don't get what you want, when you get bitter, when you get anger, when you spoke the words and it doesn't resolve, you go and tell to everybody out there what that horrible person is. And, and Paul said, just scramble this all in the bag, in this old clothes and an old currency and throw away. This is not how you pay to one another. Remove all the malice from your heart, all the hurtful feelings and replace it with the good feelings of kindness. The new currencies in our community is be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, and forgiving each other. Luke six thirty-five says, "But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to those who are kind." Kind to the ungrateful and evil men. I want to be kind to those who are kind to me. Paul says, be tender-hearted. Be compassionate, suitable for the occasion. You know, when you see people in need of grace, you give them grace. That's what they need. However, evil, un ungrateful people are, what they need is grace. This is the only thing that would change the world. Grace. And then he ends up forgiving each other. Well, this, this is just, this is just brings the whole issue. In the church, you will be sinned against in the church and you will forgive. Why? Why? Because there is a good reason. 
There's a good reason. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is the test of Christianity. Are you able to forgive? There's a song by Carl Brooks. It's a uh, country song. Skips my mind for a second. Country song. Which says that, you know, the, the, the context is that we, we brought the friends over our house and then we got drunk and then we fought. You know, that's what you expect, right? But then he said, we buried the hatchet but left the handle sticking out. This is our forgiveness sometimes. I forgive you, but, you know, there's something sticking out that when I, whenever I need to use that handle, I will take it off. And I will use it against you. You know, one great obstacle of stumbling is non-forgiveness. The hatchet might seem to be buried, but people continue to grab hold of the handle when they want to use it against one another. Jesus said, there's no limit of this forgiveness because there's no limit of your forgiveness. If your brother comes and and sin against you seven times a day, and then he asks seven times, forgive me, what do you do? You just cancel the debt. You just let it go and you forgive. And people will say, well, just, just, just words, just words, you know, I need to see proof and actions and stuff. No, that's all. If a person comes in and said, I repent, forgive me, on the basis of his confession, you forgive. And then let it go. Don't grab hold of buried hatchet, handle, for they become stumbling blocks for forgiveness. Because the strength of our forgiveness found in God's forgiveness. I'll just read you a few verses before we finish about the, this forgiveness. So kind of leave you with that. Daniel 9.9 says, The Lord your God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him. Isaiah 43.25 I, even I, he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us settle the matter. Let us settle, it be done, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Hebrews 10.17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Jeremiah 31.34, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And that is why Paul here in Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other, bear. And forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is why we can pray a Lord's prayer or disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day to day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors because you have forgiven us. First, we could add. You have been forgiven, so act like it. No matter how short we fall in our Christian walk, remember we're children of God that have been forgiven. This must we never forget. 
No child of God sins to the degree to make himself incapable of forgiveness, John Bunyan said. We have been released from the prison of sin and slavery to our old nature. We are now dressed in a new cloth, righteousness of Christ. Before we operated by our merit in our righteousness, but now we operate in by one thought, grace. Now in our spiritual banks, there are deposit of unconditional love. This is our new currency. We owe nothing to anyone except a mutual love. Here in our church, we have a great opportunity to pay, to pay back for sins against you. You have a good opportunity to pay back. When somebody sin, you take from the bank account that God grants you and give him forgiveness. Be ready in your heart to grant it when they ask. I finished with the story. A couple married for 15 years begin having more than usual disagreements. Sometimes happens. They want to make their marriage work and agreed on the idea that wife had. They said, look, let's create a jar, jar which called fault box, right? And every time we did something against one another, we just don't tell one another, but we just write on a piece of paper and put it in the jar. And so after a month, we're gonna review and maybe you know, see how to resolve things. And, and so the wife was very, very diligent so after a month, they pick and, and, and they, they took her notes first and his faults. And there was like socks, you know, laying down all over the place, crumbs on the kitchen. You know, the toilet is, is you didn't help me with washing the dishes. And there was a bunch of, bunch of things. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to try to do better. And then she opened the box. His fault, uh, her fault box, and, and there was a bunch of piece of paper, and each one of which will say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's the currency that we pay to one another. This is what God gave us. Now, is it easy? <laughs> it's extremely hard, extremely hard. But we find our power to do so, to the unloving, people because God loved us. Father, we thank you for and encouraging us with your word. We're different now, even though often we don't look like it, but we know that you have changed us.